Welcome to episode 102 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samples. I was winning the morning until the toilet overflowed. Now, baby is crying in his crib, toddler is whining in his bed, breakfast is half made, and the bathroom is a mess. Gross, I know. But that's life, right? We strive to be singularly focused on any one goal, but life intervenes and throws competing priorities our way. Fortunately, I was not the only adult in the house when I was faced with my dilemma. Getting help is always a good first step. We split up the tasks and got everyone out the door on time. It's not the only time I've experienced being pulled in several directions at once. Having more than one child and a business will do that to you. Each time it happens, I have to do a quick calculation. Who or what can wait? And what can I delegate? Trying to do all of it myself all of the time is a losing proposition. It's Likely that some of your competing priorities could be dealt with by someone else, but you're the one taking care of it because you've always done so. Your challenge for this week. It's time to take a step back and look critically at what's been pulling you in three different directions. Get super clear on what tasks are really yours and only yours. Could you cross-train someone so they are competent to step up in a pinch? Are you still doing tasks that are important but feel life-draining? Would someone else find joy in them and take it on happily? For example, you could hire someone to do data entry, bookkeeping, or house cleaning. Next time you're faced with competing priorities, see whether you can make someone or something wait, or what can you delegate? Then get your focus back on the task that is truly yours to complete and feel accomplished when you cross it off your list. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, Onto this week's show. Today's guest is a visibility strategist who has been a catalyst for the start and growth of thousands of small businesses. She founded the Success Connection, a long-running virtual membership network for women entrepreneurs, through which she helps her members and clients build business relationships, become distinguished as credible experts, and monetize their platforms. She helps uncover and build up the potential of every woman she works with by pushing limits and expanding possibilities. Her four-step signature system for building market leadership focuses on confidence, credibility, connections, and visibility. She's also the co-producer of TEDx Lincoln Square in New York City and hosts two annual confidence-building retreats. Please join me in welcoming Jamie Broderick. Hey, Robbie. I'm so glad I was introduced to you by our friend Jason Van Orden. So great to be here. Awesome, Jamie. I really appreciate you joining us from your office in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. I want to just jump right in. This is a podcast about leadership and building great networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize we had the skills to lead? Leadership is all about helping people move forward, create momentum. And it's not just about helping them get clear on, and giving them steps towards their goals, but it's also about giving them the confidence and the motivation. Love to do that. 
Yeah. Every month I talk with my members and some of them are a little confused or overwhelmed, not sure of next steps. And by the end of our call, they are like on fire and ready to run down that road and stay focused. It's so awesome to watch. It's great. I agree. I, I, you and I actually work with a, with an overlapping uh, demographic. I, I describe mine as entrepreneurial women because I don't want to qualify the word entrepreneur. And, um, but I, but I agree with you. A lot of them, like they, they have great ideas, but then there's something often holding them back. And, and, you know, my focus, my lens is networking and particularly networking as a, as a marketing strategy. And so I see so much potential as you do, but then they often don't, I don't know if it's like a less ego maybe, or like just they get putting themselves out there. But when they, when they realize what they have, right, there's that spark that happens and then that leadership potential really arrives. Like it's really interesting that you're, you're sort of naming the confidence piece of leadership. I don't think other people have really specified that, but I think some people have it within themselves, but they don't always project it. And it sounds like that's kind of the piece that you see with the people you work with. Is that, am I describing that right? Yeah, I love to uncover that, that goodness inside everyone. Everyone mm-hmm. has unique strengths and talents and I help them see it and I help them believe it. And then I give them the tools to get there, to utilize it and turn it into a business. So everyone has such potential for greatness. And I first discovered I was a leader when I was working in corporate and I, had to, I would lead departments. And some of the staff had been there for 30 years doing the same job. And when I showed up, I was like, you could do so much more. So I pushed them to try something new, learn wow. something new, jump into some software, lead a meeting, do something out of, out of their comfort zone. And you know, initially they resisted, but they had to do it because I was their boss. But afterwards, they were so proud of themselves. It just helped them grow as a person and grow professionally. And they realized, wow, I'm capable of so much more than I thought. So I yeah. do the same thing now with entrepreneurs. So w- early in life, when you were, uh, you know, grade school, high school, college, were you naturally gifted with some innate leadership abilities? Were you kind of the quiet kid who watched on the sidelines? Did you organize your friends in the playground? Did you run for office? Did people see you as a leader? Like, did you see yourself as a leader? Like, what what was it like early on for Jamie? Well, there, there are uh, several phases of Jamie. Uh-huh. Early on, I was a happy-go-lucky kid, but then all kinds of chaos hit my household. My parents fought a lot. It was crazy, like paint plates flying and wow. fists going, and you know, it was crazy. So I shut down and was quiet, didn't feel important. And it's really my why of what I do now. It's why I want to give women a voice in the world and make, make sure they realize that the, what they do is important and impactful, and people need to know them. So that craziness helped launch what I do now. But after my dad left and things calmed down, then I did step into my leadership. It wasn't always productive leadership. It was Uh like recruiting people for parties (laughs) most of the time. But I did actually start a cross-country team in high school. I used to train with the boys' football team during the summer. I would run with them, a coach like that, because he would motivate them to run faster so they could keep up with me. And in the fall, I ran with the boys' cross-country team, but I didn't compete. And the coach said, well, if you organize a bunch of girls, I will coach you all, and then you can compete in your own races. So I did. I started the cross-country team at my high school. Yeah, so clearly you had that desire uh, to sort of and willingness to, to do that. But it also sounds like you went through a dark period and learned a lot from that that you're applying to today. It's, it's great to know your why and have it be really rooted in those early experiences, those 
formative years like really stay with us. And most people haven't done the unpacking of that to really understand themselves. But when you do, now you're able to offer that out to other people. Did, did you seek any formal titles or was it more of this informal thing that you were able to do influencing people to sort of follow you into whether it's a social gathering or, you know, to being part of cross country? Was there like, when did you think, oh, I actually can, can step up in this like formal way? Was there a moment like that? Um, it all kind of was organic, you know, um, when I started my business 11 years ago, it actually came about because for the last three years prior to that, I've been helping friends with their businesses. And I had this massive list of people who had been in my orbit because of that. And I decided to just launch my business, but it's it's not like I ran for student council Mm -hmm. or a political role or anything. No, yeah, it's just kind of organizing people and leading them as a community and helping them all help each other. Yeah. I, I mean, like innately an organizer, like that's just kind of who I am. It's the kind of way I think of the world. Um, but you just said 11 years ago, which is a long time. And I love talking to people who've been doing this for a while. Uh, a, a lot of my guests have actually celebrating their 10 years this year. And it's because the crash of the economy in 2008. And they're like, this is the 10 years of them being in business, but you said 11 years. So I'm curious, what was the impetus that just got you to like, kind of go out on your own, you know, sans, you know, full organization and develop something in 2007? It wasn't really a strategic decision other than um, we moved a lot. So I was seven years in corporate and then we were moved from my husband's company, it merged to Kentucky. Then we moved again to California. Then we moved to Pennsylvania. So this trip around the United States every few years while raising a family, I spent those years working like at Cooper's and Librand doing tax season kind of stuff because I had uh, credits and masters of tax and it's easy work, super boring, but I wouldn't (laughs) recommend it (laughs) for someone with some personality. But um, the company that I started here in Pennsylvania really was helping friends and then it just developed from there. So we did three years of helping friends with businesses, then about nine years of a local network and then two years of a virtual network where now things are taken up to a whole new level. So that now it's more about helping people get even further and getting access to influencers and getting personalized strategic consulting for me. It's Mm -hmm. not about the local in-person meet and greets anymore. So you and I actually have something in common that I hadn't really realized. I didn't realize how much of the, of the, a network that you've built up started as a local entity before it went to this thing that I now see as sort of this online uh, community. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran a meetup group for 11 years in Boston called Socializing for Justice, which was a space, uh, cross-cultural, cross-issue, progressive community and network where, you know, we hosted hundreds of events and thousands of people came and, we're, you know, it's all these members. It's how I sort of got to, people, a lot of people knew me that way locally but like you, my business is like, I closed that last fall and now my business has really developed way beyond that. And my world, my network, you know, like you said, it's about connecting to influencers. It's about um, finding your people wherever they might be, not necessarily local to you. And you mentioned Jason Van Orden as uh, I was introducing you. Um, and I'm so grateful to meet him. He's just the nicest person in the world. And if I hadn't met him and I only you know knew of him, I would definitely have put him on like, a big influencer pedestal because um, because he's had a big influence on the world that I'm in and the people that I follow learned a lot from him. Um, but then meeting him, it was just a wonderful connection. 
what was it like for you to start to make connections in person and develop relationships with the people that for you were real influencers, not with the capital I kind of big deal influencers, but like they actually influenced you and your business, all those years that you were developing it. And then you, you branched out and you started to actually meet them. What was that like for you to start to develop those connections? Well, um, it's not like I was starstruck because I do, I am one of those people that would fly out for the Oscars and stand by the red carpet and watch the stars arrive. But <laughs> wow, <laughs> very cool every March. But um, for as far as meeting influencers, it really is just, it kind of came naturally because I'm all about helping and listening and supporting. And no matter where you are in your business or who you are, what role you play in the world, everyone needs help. So I guess the first people that I started to create friendships with were local media here in Philadelphia, like at NBC or on the radio. And then it branched out into the more of the higher level entrepreneurs. So I met Jason and Michael Roderick actually at the same time at Kimmer Luna's rooftop party, which was super fun. And she, I guess she invited me because I had helped her and supported her in the past. So mm-hmm. that's just the way it works. It wasn't like I was chasing after people. Right. I just recognized him from online and I went up to him and introduced myself and we talked for like an hour about business. So, and then after that, I saw that he was, I noticed on Facebook that he was going to see John Lee Dumas at the public library in New York. And so was I. So I invited him to lunch. Mm-hmm. So then from there, then we've kind of created a friendship after that. I love that, that in, in retrospect, this sounds very organic, but there also is some strategy in the sense that you one had known enough about him before you met him to recognize him in a crowd. Right. You, you had enough confidence in yourself to go up and say hello without necessarily any agenda. In fact, the lack of an agenda probably was important in that moment. But just to like say hello and thank him and 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 warmly greet him, and that you know you were following him closely enough online to notice that you were attending the same event, and again took that as an opportunity to to schedule some one on one time which is probably rare to get when there's somebody who's got a following. And so, it, you know, it sounds so organically like unfolding, just, you know, happenstance, but you were clearly driving some of that. Um, and then without, again, uh, necessarily an outcome in mind, but clearly you and I are now meeting because of that. And I, lo- I love the possibilities. Michael Roderick's been a business coach of mine for a while now. Um, and I, I, I just really enjoy the 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 connections I've made through the two of them. I know them both actually through Dory Clark, who's been sort of my gateway into this entire world. And I've known her the last 10 years. Um, and again, you know, I couldn't have said 10 years ago, I was getting to know her because of what was going to happen 10 years later. Um, exactly. But That's you, the fun of it. It's yeah. like, you don't go in there with an agenda or an expectation. It's just, you want to meet them because you respect what they do. Your values are aligned. You think they're super cool. <laughs> they know a lot. And it's just, you just want to be in their presence and know them and tell them how they've impacted you. And it just, you know, you don't know where it goes, but that's, that's the beauty of it. It may lead to a connection or you don't know. It's just the fun of it. No. Well, so Jamie, you're now also occupying the role of influencer yourself. We've got this community you've had for more than a decade. Lots of people you've, whose lives you've impacted so are people having that same coming up to you moments where they're like finding you in a crowd and inviting you to lunch? Is that happening? And, and, and what's it like then being on that side of it? I'm not noticing anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so low key and friendly. I'll just, 
I'm open to talking with anybody. So yeah. if we're doing that, I really don't know. But um, I know my my uh, personal trainer actually said to me uh, when I first hired her, she said, she said, thought to herself, what am I going to do with Jamie Broderick? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm a person just like any of your other clients. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like everybody is, uh, everyone's a person and everybody, I, it was kind of like in high school too, right? Everybody, I got along with everybody. The, uh, you know, I won't use all those terms we used back then, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> all the clicks, everyone, all, all the, clicks. the different clicks. Yes, I, did I find too. everyone yeah. interesting. It's great. Just everyone has something to offer and find out what it is. Get in there. So I want to hear more about the work you're doing today, um, but I want to come at it from a particular angle. I'm curious, what do you find most rewarding? And you talked about this a little bit before, but what's what's the piece that keeps you sort of motivated doing this work? Wow. When I see people that are open to being coached, who take action, who are motivated, who start believing in themselves and their potential and take the leap in the belief that the net will appear, (laughs) it is so much fun to watch. So that's actually the sub theme of my retreat because I have a retreat in New York called Soar to New Heights. And the sub theme this year is um, take the leap and the net will appear that's what it's all about. So like really having confidence in your talents. So I help them see it and then I help them believe it and then figure out how to use it to achieve what they want to achieve. It's good stuff. It really is. And I, it sounds like you're, uh, you're so drawn to this work. You personally experienced it. You're, you're seeing the results people are having. Um, what are the challenges though, that you're facing as you've been building this? You know, I, you said you, you started sort of locally, you moved online. Like, are there pieces of the business the business side of it, clearly you love the coaching and the, the the creating the retreats, but is there some piece of this that just doesn't feel like it's yours, like it's not where your strengths lie and you knew like, okay, I need to have other people involved because I can spend all day doing X, Y, Z, but it's just not my thing. I mean, the fact that you said you do taxes tells me it's not bookkeeping. And a lot of my guests say, oh God, bookkeeping. <laughs> but I have a feeling you've got that covered. So what's a piece that's still a struggle for you when you think about building the business? Well, when I first started, it definitely was trying to do everything myself, for sure. And even though I'm a CPA with 20 plus years of finance and accounting experience, I shouldn't be doing my bookkeeping. So I don't. No. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we'll we'll put the taxes in the far, far back in the memories. We don't need to revisit that. Um, Yes, I don't do my taxes anymore either. But I all have people that do things, everything from copywriting to graphic design to building my website to affiliate management. I even have somebody, a senior in high school, that comes and helps me with child care, pet care, house care, and errands. Mm-hmm. Because I just a better use of my time. Yeah. That's a real hard lesson for a lot of people, though. This idea that y- you should be focusing your energy on the things that only you can do, like that you do best, that you love to do. And there are other people that can be hired to do other things. But was that hard for you to shift into that mindset or did that evolve out of necessity or were you just like raised with the mindset of doing that? Uh, it wasn't a hard shift for me. I went out, once I realized the light bulb went off that I should be delegating or eliminating or automating, I was on board for that full time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Works great. It's, much a, it's such a different experience once you're in that groove because then you can really focus on the, the joyful part of the business and keep iterating. It sounds like probably you're creating space for yourself to develop new programs because of that instead of like laboring over 
your bookkeeping or something like that. You're now, you're creating space. How do these confidence retreats sort of come about? Because it sounds like a unique offering. It came about because over the 10, 11 years that I've been in business, so many times I would come across one of my clients who wasn't putting themselves out there, wouldn't price a product properly, or was afraid of what other people would think or didn't believe in her potential. So it was clear that he needed some confidence building skills. So we did the Florida retreat. I took a big risk. I just believed that it would be amazing and it would work. I took, it was like a $6,000 financial loss for me if it just like completely exploded and not, didn't work. But I believed in it. So I just put it, to, I said, I'm going to do this. And I figured out how to do it and did it. And it was fantastic. It was life-changing for some of the participants that came. One was working in a job she didn't like. She left that job and now a year later has a fully loaded client list and wow. business. It's incredible. Yeah. And um, then I, while I was about to launch that first retreat, I actually came up with the idea to do a second retreat because I, I did a little retreat and a little time with my daughter down in Florida. And while I was with my daughter, one of her favorite things to do is a ropes challenge course. So we did that and she, I did all four levels, pushed myself. It was so hot physically and mentally challenging. It took like every cell of my being to get through it, but I refused to be rescued. I said, I can do anything. I can do it. I just have to put my mind to it. It may take me a little longer than my daughter who skipped across the whole thing. But afterwards, it was, I felt so exhilarated and I just believed that I could do anything and conquer the world. And I wanted to share that feeling with people. So I decided to do Sword of New Heights, which includes a full day of ropes challenge course. Wow. And it's, oh my God. Because it's not just about climbing on the ropes. It's about pushing yourself, seeing what you're capable of. And then you take that and you apply it to your business and your life. And you're like, yeah, I got this. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's so cool. And how, how old are your children? My daughter's 13. My son is 21. He's in college. Wow. I see I'm I'm way at the beginning of all this. My kids are two and a half and six months old. Oh, no ropes for them, yeah. <laughs> no ropes for them, although I think my toddler would love it. He'd be like all over it, right? Like no fear, no no consequences, <laughs> leaping ahead and me chasing after him. I think it yeah. would be terrifying for me, but wonderful for him. But what a great way to like uh take from what you're learning from just your family and then starting to apply that in a business setting and create those experiences. So when you're doing all this, you're probably bringing it home with you. I mean, it's it's kind of hard as an entrepreneur to really have like any, you know, well, you're, you're not like clocking in and clocking out, right? <laughs> you're like, no. you're always sort of thinking about the work because you love, you love it so much. Do you have any practices or routines that allow you to sort of take a break from that and, and like focus on something other than your business? Do you have like, I, mean, I get the work-life balance is sort of a misnomer and it's sort of an integration, particularly with a family. Um, that's how I also have to live with it. But how do you know when you're not at work? Like, is there something you're doing or do you just think, well, I love my job. I'm not going to worry about that. Hmm. Well, I have boundaries set up. I think with automation, like just for scheduling calls. So if each member has a call with me, the time I'll offer on my online scheduling tool is always when it's convenient for me and good for my family. So if my daughter's in a three-hour dance, like, crazy session, <laughs> that's when I'm doing my client calls. I'm free. I'm available. I'm not. Yeah. I'll just sit there and do all my calls one after the other. So it's great. Yeah. So it's about boundaries and segmenting my day. Mm -hmm. I, I love the, the, I use uh, schedule once and I, that's, 
probably the tool that I would give up last in my business because it's been so helpful uh, for what you're saying, right? Like being being open to connections, being open to like meeting new people. I love being introduced to people, but knowing that I can schedule those calls quickly without the back and forth and also in a time that I know will be most sort of beneficial for my schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, although now that I have a six month old, I just never know what his schedule is going to be day to day. So That's it's, true. so a lot of times uh, I do appear on a video call with a child in my arms. <laughs> um, and during these calls, they're out of the house because otherwise they might be maybe in my arms. <laughs> um, exactly. One of the reasons I love working with entrepreneurial women, because they just see it as a perk. They're like, I wear work with you because you have a baby. <laughs> we want to see him grow up. Um, so what are some other habits that you're trying to incorporate into your life? Do you have like a daily practice maybe in the morning or any, any other sort of rituals that get you going? It sounds like you're, you're just so full of energy and life. And like, what are you doing to, to keep that fire going every day? Well, the energy is just the belief that I can figure anything out. I love that whole Marie Forleo belief. Everything is figure outable, right? Because I'll just say, we're going to do this. And then we'll figure out who can help me. How do I do it? So there's never a fear of doing anything. You know, I co-produced TEDx with Trisha Brooke in New York. Never did that before, of course. I'm like, sure, why not? So we'll figure it out. (laughs) So both of us went in blind. She was the entertainment piece. And I was kind of the event planning marketing piece. And it was amazing success. We did so well that it got featured in Inc. by Lolly Daskal. That's, you know, just go for it. Don't hold yourself back. You don't know what you're capable of until you try it, right? Um, Let's see. What else do I incorporate? Hmm, I guess the five-minute journal has been really helpful. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, In the morning, you... You do the gratitude and talk about how, what would make your day great. And then at the end, you kind of do a little assessment. So I'm going to actually give that as a gift to all of my attendees at the shoot for the stars retreat in Florida, because that whole piece, that reflection and that gratitude and learning. So it's not failures, it's learning and improving. That's all really important. So we're going to do that each morning and I'll give each of them a journal to work with, to take home. That sounds like, um, again, going back to mindset, right? You're, you're making sure you're calibrating each morning to the day you want to have and then assessing at the end of the day um, kind of what, yeah, what, you, uh, what the day was. Not, not good or bad, but what did happen. Um, it, it makes me think of an appreciative inquiry sort of approach to it. Not Absolutely. instead of the delta plus, right? It's sort of like what was and what could be and then uh, keep applying that forward. When did you start uh, using the gratitude journal? couple of years ago. Oh, it's nice. been great. It just helps you stop and focus. I also do yoga, um, which keeps me calm <laughs> yeah. and, and, and flexible. Um, but another thing I do is really rely heavily on my calendar because if it's not on my calendar, it's not reality, right? Mm. So really scheduling it and always allowing for white space and white space meaning not th- doing things literally back to back. So if I have calls for those three hours I talked about earlier, I'll always have 15 minutes between each one. So if something runs late or starts yeah. early, I'm not like crazy and stressed. This is um, actually one of the benefits of those calendar uh, links um, because you can have that sort of built in. Exactly. That you don't want things happening back to back. Yeah. Well, and like, I know when you work from home, it's not really travel time, but I often end a meeting a few minutes early with someone and I'll tell them I'm gifting them, you know, hey, I'm gifting you six minutes on the clock go ahead and run to the bathroom and grab a bite to eat. And they always laugh and they go, actually, thank you. Like, 
Because <laughs> they have something scheduled immediately after. Wow. And, you know, it's like, I, I get that that's how a lot of people pack their day. And so I actually, they, they think of me kindly because I gave them five or six minutes. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Yeah. It's a little, a little bit of a hack for getting to know people and have them think fondly of you at the end of a long conversation. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So I'm curious about the the networking piece of this. I mean, you and I talked about this a little bit earlier, but um, you know, there's the close connections that we all have, and then there's sort of the second and third sort of rings or tiers out from that. What are your methods or habits for staying in touch and sustaining connections with those sort of outer layers of your network, the people that maybe you met at a conference or you were introduced to once and you had a nice conversation, but you know, what's the next step? You don't really have a next step. Like you seem so community oriented. Like I'm curious, like how are you nurturing those connections? Constant email connection, constant social media. So, but you know, after 11 years, I'm kind of on every platform at this point. When you start, I don't recommend that, but (laughs) by this point I'm kind of everywhere. Um, And really it's, I respond to any email anyone sends me. I'm a very quick typer, best class I ever took in high school. I can uh-huh. type like that. I dictate my texts. I do things with technology that help me speed up the process so that I, because I want to get back to people. I don't want to just send information out. I want to respond in comments on social media. I want to respond to emails. Um, I, it's also about paying attention, right? So if it's somebody like, I'll give you an example. John Lee Dumas was doing a, a Facebook Live, and he was saying that it was tea with JLD. But he was, didn't have any tea, so he was drinking coffee. The next day, I packaged up my gift box of tea and shipped it down to Puerto Rico. So I'm like, now you have tea for your next Facebook Live. So it's like doing things like that nurtures that's, relationships, but you have to just so be great. creative and pay attention. Yeah, that's such a great example I love it. I love it, love it, love it because I'm sure no one else was sending him tea, you know, like, and, and he's a person who gets probably a lot of fan mail and emails and like people sort of vying for his attention, but that was a really thoughtful, I'm paying attention and here's a little thing that might help you out next time. I noticed that you were drinking coffee. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny and clever, but, but no one uh, hands that to you. You have to look for it. So there is a paying attention factor. Do you also host any gatherings? Like, do you travel as part of your work? Do you go to conferences and that kind of thing? Um, once in a while. I was just out in LA for Donnelly McNeil's retreat in, uh, for Conquer Club. So that, but that was one day kind of thing. But yeah, love to meet new people, sure, and keep in touch. Yeah. So I, I think of uh, the dinner as sort of a hosting dinners as a part of my strategy. Um, you know, whenever I'm down in New York, you know, I, I'm originally from Long Island. So I know a lot of people in the area from a family, but now I've met all of these great, amazing colleagues that live in the city. Um, so I'll like stop through and, and, you know, this little favorite spot now in, uh, in Brooklyn, cause it's like just across the bridge. <laughs> um, and so people will come over and I'll like, that's where actually I got Jason and Michael and Dory came out for dinner with me, um, and a few other people. And so it's just been a nice way to like stay connected in person. Um, so is, is ever dinners or salons like a part of your strategy as well? Well, if I'm in the city for another reason, for TEDx or filming a documentary or something like that, I'll always tack on a lunch and invite people that I want to stay in touch with. So recently I saw Jason and Petra Colbert and Trisha Brooke because I was already in the city. So it just makes sense. So I'm like three hours all the way to PA, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, But I still 
kind of do the logistically, I'll do it all together. Um, but also if I'll see if one of the people that I'm connected to online who I've never met in person is going to be at an event, I'll make an effort to go there. Ah. So Selena Sue and Jen Scalia were doing an event together and I know them both online for years. Yeah. But I've never met them face to face. So I made a point to go there. Say hello in person. Yeah. Get a photo, say hello, just get that face to face and then uh, head out. Yeah, the face-to-face is so important. You're you're making all these great connections online, but there's something that does sort of happen, right? When you have some FaceTime, in-person time, I should say, because FaceTime now I think still means video for a lot of people. Um, but getting a chance to shake someone's hand and look them in the eye and tell them what you appreciate about them. Um, so this this tea thing is such a great example. Do, are there other things you're doing like that? Are you like on the lookout always for little things? Is this part of what you're also teaching your clients then? Yeah, being on the lookout... I thought everybody did this. I guess it's uh, just kind of ingrained in me now. But I'll give you another example. I was hosting a workshop, a trading workshop. I wasn't teaching it, but I did the welcome, introduced the speaker. And one of my members who was in the class said, no coffee? I could really use a cup of coffee. Note to self, (laughs) I introduced the speaker. They start the workshop. I run down, grab a cup of coffee at the local coffee shop, bring it back, put it on her desk, and then I left. She was like, wow, awesome. $3, five minutes, yeah. $3. It made such an impression on her because she was like, wow, somebody cares, somebody's listening, somebody took the time and spent $3 on me. Yeah. I actually heard a great uh, a story actually about... Uh, some really big deal at a conference uh, guy and everyone was vying for him for his attention. Um, but he was handed a cup of coffee that was too hot for him to pick up. And someone came by with another cup and put it underneath it and then handed it back to him. Yep. And he told everyone else uh, goodbye and had that young person sit next to him and have dinner with him the rest of the night. Wow. <laughs> Just noticed like I can't like he, he noticed that the, Old gentleman couldn't, you know, it was a little hot to hope to pick up and get went and got another cup for him. And it's just these lo- little moments. I, I love the simplicity of what you're talking about. And I, I actually will tell you that it's not something everyone's doing. Um, it's simple. It's, it's mindful, you know, practice that you're doing of engaging with the people in the world around you. And I think a lot of people miss these little opportunities to, um, I don't know, show people that they matter. I, you know, that cup of coffee, like you said, five minutes and $3, like, you know, um, instead of feeling like, oh, I feel bad that we didn't have coffee. I, I should have done that. Oh, well, note for next time, you know, which is still, yes, a note for next time, but you could solve something right now. Um, that's a real particular mindset that you've developed and that you are passing along to people that you work with. And then that ripple effect, I think, happens too, right? Because then they're more likely to have a good day, right? Like pay it forward in some way. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's cool. Yeah, I noticed two ends of the spectrum. So when I went to that conference in LA, some people were there to meet other people and help and listen and see how they could assist them in whatever challenge they're having. While other people were there with their cards and their product and selling them, like they didn't even know the person's name and their or what they need or what their problems are, and they're trying to sell them. I'm like, you don't know if that will help them yet. They you haven't earned their trust to ask them for that yet. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I absolutely agree. One of my favorite guests was a a woman named Stephanie Chung, and she is a uh, 
a high-end closer, high-ticket sales closer. And she arrived at that practice by selling uh, private jets. And you don't sell private jets with a handshake and a business card. You know, you don't like go in a room and just like throwing your business cards around and hope you meet someone who wants to buy a private jet. You know, like it's relationships that are built over time. And she's also a woman of color working in a very white male dominated industry. She wasn't a pilot. So I found her amazing because like she's developed a skill in in a kind of tough environment. Um, And then she left that to teach it. And everything I've been trying to tell people and think about on my own scale of business um, she was like, amening. Like it was just such a, you know, speaking to the choir moment. But it made me realize that if you really think about the product you're offering as a private jet, <laughs> then maybe you'd approach it differently. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't like throw business cards out in the spray and pray kind of method that so many people do. Because, um, like you said, you can spot those people and it feels very different. Uh, and you're than the other, the other way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Particularly at a big conference like that, where I think people come a little bit with their guard up. They're not sure what they are getting themselves into. Most people aren't even clear about what they want out of it themselves. Like, do you do you have any practice before you go to a big event like that to to get a sense of like why are you going? Other than like to meet you know one or two people. Like, do you have more of that you're intention, I guess, in it? Yeah, you're nodding. So go ahead. Absolutely. Yes. When I talk about networking events, I talk about the before, during, and the after. The before is definitely creating a strategy, understanding why you're going, who you want to meet, and getting your mindset ready to help people. Um, If you can get a hold of the attendance list, you can do a little online networking first connect on LinkedIn or other social platforms, reach out to them, maybe carpool with somebody, identify who you want to talk to when you're there. If you can't get the list, I always recommend at least connecting with the speakers, the hosts, the event planner, the sponsors. Those are all public information. You'll be remembered. If you do that, the person at the front will say, hey, who is so-and-so? Thank you for reaching out because no one else is doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, no one else is doing that. And then, and what about the after? So that, that was the before and the during. And what is, what's your practice for after? Because that's where I think a lot of people really don't, <laughs> they don't follow through. <laughs> well, that's the word, right? The follow-up, that's massive. So when you, it's not about getting your card in people's hands. It's about getting cards from the people you want to build a relationship with. That way the ball's in your court and you can follow up and take that relationship further. If you just hand out your card, then you're just, it's lost. Mm -hmm. So I always get the card from the people. I ask for it. I only give my card out if I'm, it's requested of me, which always baffles people. And (laughs) then it's about connecting everywhere. If I haven't already online, following them, helping them. So by now I should have a good idea of how I can help them. Should I, are they a blogger? Should I share their posts? Are they have, they've been featured in the media. Is it an article that resonates with me? I should share it. Is there somebody I can introduce them to? Yeah. How can I help this person? So I take it further by figuring out how to help them. Yeah, this, they're all great practices. Um, so I, I, one of my earliest um, blog posts and earliest podcast episodes is titled, When Will Women Win the Right to Pockets? <laughs> <laughs> Where do we hold our cards? Yes. Where do you hold your cards? Yeah. It's very complicated. And I, and I think it's it's as we talk about cards and, and the practice of having them on you and 
so many times I'll be talking to someone and this is actually, uh, it's mostly women, but sometimes men will have their cards in a bag too across the room and they're like, I'll be right back. And it's like, no, I won't be standing here. <laughs> well, go ahead and go look into the, across the room for your bag and uh, rummaging through it. Um, so I, I talk a lot in detail about sort of, you know, even the, even the simplest things like having the cards at the ready. Um, and my tip that I'm going to share with you, I haven't talked about much in this show or not in a while is uh, I suggest that people write their follow-up email draft before they go to the event. So that kind of gets them in the mindset that you're talking about, like what, who they want to meet, what are they looking for, what do they want to offer, you know, what does this crowd need from them, what, what are the, what's the resource, how they want to be known, et cetera. And just drafting that paragraph or two, not too long, and then leaving space, obviously, to personalize the introduction part and, you know, personalize that there's an ask and, and getting clear on that. But having that ready and then tracking the priority cards during the event and then having the scheduled time after to do that follow-up. I think, you know, I always ask people, if you've done those steps, why wouldn't you do the follow-through? And they're like, oh, I just would do it then. Because <laughs> um, it's like, I always say like, this is not, this is sort of like magic. You know, people think, oh my God, it's magic that you you follow through on things. But really, like the rabbit was already there. <laughs> it's really planning, right? Like it's not magic, it's preparation. And it sounds like you go in with your mindset and a serious plan. Um, Going over to the West Coast for a day from from Pennsylvania is not a trivial thing. So you want to make sure your time is well spent. It sounds like you left there with a really good sense of 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 that. Where a lot of people, I think, get to the end of a weekend like that and think, "Ugh, I don't know, was that worth it?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or they're they're like, "Who did I meet again? Who was that?" <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I one last question about networking, and then we're going to be wrapping up uh, this great conversation. I. I'm going to be writing a book about the importance of diversifying our network and examples for how people have done that. And it sounds like you really have met people across an interesting spectrum and diversity in all of its, all of its meanings of what that could mean. Um, so this is the leading question, but why is having a diverse network important? What, in your words, what would you say is, is crucial about that? And, and what has it meant for your work and your business? I think you can learn a lot from other industries. So what works in other, other industries could be taken into your industry. It just opens you up to new ways of thinking because you're only hanging out with people who do what you do. Everyone's doing that same thing. You kind of could get stuck in tunnel vision, right? So look outside the bubble. <laughs> yeah, looking outside the bubble. And do you have anything that you are doing in particular to make sure you're constantly you know, adding diversity to the to the community and network that you have to make sure that you're you know, not just having people who have the same experiences and same uh, life sort of goals as you? Well, all of my members are very diverse in what they do, even though they are all women and all about the same age within a couple decades. Um, and all of our mentors, they come from different industries as well. But I guess the thing that gives me the most diversity is actually being involved with TEDx, Lincoln Square in New York. Mm -hmm because we get such a diverse group of speakers. So it's just a natural introduction to all these amazing people from mm -hmm. doctors to advocates to authors to business people. It's great. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, everyone should know if they don't already that this is a volunteer role, yes. right? Running a TEDx is a lot of work and it's a real dedication and particularly because you're several hours outside of New York City doing the organizing of this event and coordination with Trisha Brooke. Um, so... But what it does place you in a leadership role, 
where you're attracting really talented people to come and talk to you. You're offering something, which is a wonderful stage and a great event. I mean, I've heard great things about the production of, of TEDx Lincoln Square. So I think you're right. It's, there's a lot of TEDx's, but this one really, you know, I'm glad Lolly wrote something about it because I think it, it deserves that sort of recognition. But, you know, now you're saying like this has actually been an amazing way to, to add some depth uh, and breadth to your own network and the process of doing. How long have you been, you and Trisha been running the TEDx? We've done it two years in a row so two far. Years. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. I it's kudos to you. I know quite a few TEDx organizers, so I know a bit of the behind the scenes and my background's event planning. So I, I understand the the role that you're taking on, but you're creating an amazing platform. And so thank you for doing that. Um, my my last final sort of wrap up question here, which is I love, is when we're sitting down checking in again a year from now, and we'll connect again before then, I'm sure, and we're celebrating all of the amazing successes you've had in the past year, I want to know what we're going to be toasting. Well, what I've been focusing on is building my affiliate marketing program to promote my Above the Crowd program and my membership and being an affiliate for more people Mm -hmm. that I align with, whose products I believe in. So really putting that more in the forefront. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like, again, it goes back to relationships um, right, affiliate marketing at its core is you, you do it because you like the product or the person, you believe in what they're offering, you think it's a good match for, for your community. Uh, I think too many people, particularly when affiliate marketing sort of like had a little had a little boom there, everyone was just like slapping things on their website. Like, I'll be an affiliate for everything. Like, I know I've never used it. Like, I think the things that I'm an affiliate for, I actually think of myself as like, like I love contextually, you know, and so I talk about all time on this show and I've, I actually had the founder come on as a guest, and but I'm willing to sit down and help people set up their their um, their system if they use it. You know, like because I believe in it that much. I think that's that's the kind of thing that you're you're looking for. It sounds like in the next year is more of those relationships that helps you kind of. If you don't believe in the product or the service or the program, you should. It's such short term thinking to just try to sell anything, because if you're going to ruin the relationships, right. you have to recommend something to someone if it's really going to help them. So my program teaches visibility, but it doesn't dive really deep into how to write a storyline or how to connect with a specific type of media. Mm-hmm. Selena Sue's program, Impacting Millions, does that. So I'm an affiliate for her because it's a spinoff of what I teach. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah. And she had an amazing launch recently. Uh, I was watching it just to learn from just the, the volume uh, that she had. She was everywhere for a little while on my in my world. Well, thank you so much. I'd love to hear how people can find you and follow your work. jamiebroderick.com. Everything's there. Great. And I also see that in for show notes, I'm also going to have a link to your Twitter and your LinkedIn. And I will also put a link into uh, TEDx Lincoln Square so people can check that out. I know that you're, you're going to be opening up your call in a few months and then next year will come the next, uh, next event. So this is a good timing. People are going to see this and hopefully get inspired to, to propose their own big talk. Um, thank you so much, Jamie. I really appreciate having this conversation with you. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jamie. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 102. 
That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Jamie, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I would love to read your review in iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance, and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.